0: Once more, it is What's Involved and another great guest for you. Uh, It gives me great, great pleasure to introduce you to uh, a lady who is known as the Relationship Warrior. Uh, She passionately advocates healthy personal and professional relationships. Who is she? She's Paula Quincy. Hello, Paula.
1: Hi, David. Good to be here.
0: It's very good to have you along with us. Man, you've done a lot of stuff. So let's start off right at the, at the very beginning because I always like to find out how people end up where they are currently compared to where they were. And I think you have a particularly interesting story to tell. So tell me a little bit about Paula.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So in my previous lifetime, as I like to call it, uh, I was in corporate. I had originally studied marketing and advertising And I was working for large corporates like Standard Bank and Ed Bank and KFC. But in my personal journey, I um, was in a a six and a half year relationship that had hit rock bottom and we were going for therapy. And our therapist referred us to Imago relationship therapy. And so we went off on this um, couple's weekend, couple's retreat to kind of save our relationship. And I was just blown away at the impact that Imago had on me and and just helped me understand who I was and and how I had got to where I was based on my upbringing and my childhood and how that had influenced and shaped my perspective on the world and particularly in terms of of relationships and, and how to have healthy relationships. Um, And so it just it just has such a profound effect on me and and there and then I decided that I wanted to to learn more about this stuff and teach it because Life was too short to be unhappy, especially in our relationships, which is supposed to be our our biggest source of support and nurturing and care and uh, So that's kind of where where it started. And so I trained up and and studied to become a certified Imago relationship therapy facilitator and educator and that was in about 2009, and I started doing it part-time in the evenings and the weekends with a view that one day when I left the corporate world in my second career, <laughs> I would step into some form of coaching or, you know, helping people. So that was the start of it.
0: Okay, then, but you've, you've sort of, if you don't mind me saying, you've, you've kind of glossed over some, some <laughs> bits that, that I think are... Um, you know, incredibly important in terms of your journey, and and often you know people that listen to to this show or shows like it, they they'll they'll sit and think, my life is an absolute mess. It's falling down about my ears, um, and and nothing works, and and it's just horrible. But I mean, you lost your mother at a very early age. Um, you were a victim of abuse. Um, you used to do binge binge eating, low self esteem. I mean. You were in a very dark place.
1: Absolutely. Um, the sort of I think the defining moment or catalyst started when I was seven years old. My my mom died in an accident, um, and and so that was kind of I guess where it started. And um, growing up with a father who was emotionally unavailable, um, I, I, I always tell the story that I think when my mom died, he he kind of died with her too particularly on an emotional level. And I suppose also from a generational thing. He grew up in a generation where it was that typical, the man was, was the breadwinner. He went out and you know, he, he earned the bread so, or the bacon, so to speak, and, and the woman was you know, at home nurturing the children. And, and we didn't have that anymore. Um, so, so I grew up with an emotionally unavailable father. And as a result of that, I didn't develop the skills on how to have healthy attachment when it came to relationships. Um, which resulted in me being in therapy in that particular relationship because it was yet another failed relationship. But um, yeah, after that, I um, experienced bouts of uh, emotional abuse or or sexual abuse, should I say, um, at around age sort of 12, 13. Um, And that obviously had a huge impact in terms of how I saw myself uh, from a I guess from a, a body image point of view in that sex was something that was was dirty and 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 Taboo and you know, it was shameful and as a result. Yeah, grew up with with body image issues and so around yeah, 1819 started binge eating um, in terms of uh, I suppose a form of control wanting to control um and being like society and, you know, the glossy magazines, the perfect body, the perfect image, the, 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 the model type of, of perspective on the world, you know, that if I was this beautiful thing that, you know, people would love me. I need to find out that that, of course, is false. <laughs> and so, yeah, I had a string of failed relationships behind me. And that's how I ended up in therapy with yet another failed relationship. And so it was going through that whole process, and I guess learning to to love myself and accept myself for who I who I was, who I who I am, how I got to where I was, um, the battle scars of life, so to speak, and trying to find my identity, find who I was, and be comfortable in my own skin, which took quite a quite a few years of therapy <laughs> before I finally um, got it to it. I guess a. A normality. That doesn't mean to say that today I don't have days of doubt. We all know about the imposter syndrome. We all experience the imposter syndrome. So I don't know if that ever goes away. To be honest,
0: it's actually quite strange. I was I was actually chatting to somebody about that very thing yesterday about imposter syndrome, and how particularly amongst entrepreneurs, um, you've got this this lurking thing inside of you that says. What happens if somebody calls you out? What happens if somebody challenges you and goes, you're actually not as good as you like to say you are? And and it's a massive, massive thing. I mean, it's not just, you know, and it's not just, you've just mentioned it. It's not just uh, entrepreneurs that go through it, but I think people who put themselves out there in the world um, are more prone to it. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And I was talking to, to a very good friend and mentor and role model who, who is an entrepreneur, and i you know i said to him does it ever go away do you ever get to a point in your own business where you feel like you know finally I, I know what i'm doing and he's been in business for 12 14 plus years and he said it never goes away there are days where he sometimes questions what is he doing which i found quite surprising but at the same time quite comforting as well
0: well, I've I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I have days like that uh, as well. And there's sometimes when I think, should I even actually get out of bed? Because I really, I'm just making the stuff up as I go along. But talking about going along, you then subsequently have studied some other things that I'd like to just find out about so we can complete our, our setting of the scene. Um, you've studied neurolinguistic programming. Um, although the the, 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 the the term these days is more neuro-linguistic psychology I guess um, and uh, a PDA and uh, analyst and a my PDA coach and trainer which is kind of strange because being um, old-fashioned like I am PDA stands for um, a, 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 a personal you know like your your, your smartphone or something
1: <laughs> yeah I suppose i suppose you could look at it that way it is it is part of our our, our apps i guess our apps in terms of how we wired and how we think so that's probably a good analogy <laughs> yeah um so my, i started off with the margo relationship therapy which is primarily deals with with couples and and couples coaching couples therapy couples counseling the other terms that are used out there um, and then I found that I had quite a few individuals coming to me and I wanted to equip myself to be able to help individuals as well, which is where I then looked at doing the NLP as it's often commonly referred to or neurolinguistic programming or neurolinguistic linguistic practitioner, um, which is really around the, the language that we use that conditions the way we think or the way we behave or the way that we respond and react in, in a very simplistic term, it's our, it's our conditioning. Um, so I studied that to, as a way to equip me with more tools to deal with both individuals and and couples. And then um, started kind of blending my own personal experience and my own personal journey and, and some of the things that had helped me overcome where I had been. Um, and then taking my uh, corporate experience, you know, obviously through corporate as I kind of climbed the ranks, so to speak, I'd been on a couple of leadership programs and development programs and you know those kind of things so I started blending those tools and, and insights that I'd and i would learned and I believe that life is a lifelong journey of learning So I'm always looking to learn and grow and develop Whether it's reading talking to people attending seminars or conferences, etc. And so That's how I started getting into the space where I now started Working with both individuals in their personal capacity and then in the workplace as well in corporates and it's for me It's all about relationships so first of all do I have a healthy relationship with myself and Then how am I showing up and how am I co-creating that space in my personal world with my personal? relationships and then in the corporate space with my relationships in the workplace um, And so that's kind of where where I've evolved to and where I am today with the PDA. It it simply stands for personal development assessment and it's a type of psychometric assessment that measures three key areas. It's behavior traits. It's emotional indicators and it's energy indicators. um, Or energy levels and it's it's really around developing self awareness around how I think or how I make decisions. Um, how how I deal with people so introvert extrovert the way that I like to work am I the kind of person that is very routine orientated and I like certainty and stability or do I cope better with change and working on multiple things and then do I need a structured environment because I like that, that sort of that guidance whether it's systems or processes or people or am I more of a big picture thinker and so that's kind of where I've got today in terms of my, my training. And then I've also obviously done a couple of other courses and stuff here and there and looking to do some more as well.
0: Fantastic stuff. My special guest is Paula Quincy. Um, she's basically, let's just, just be honest, uh, your, your go-to relationship warrior. Um, and it's all about uh, personal, professional relationships uh, for Paul, Paula. When we come back, we'll chat more and find out what else Paula has done. This is What's Involved. And we're back on What's Involved with my special guest, Paula Quincy. Uh, Paula, so just before the, the break, we were talking about uh, some of the stuff that you had uh, had done. You've also, you're also an author, though. You've written, what, two books, I believe, or guides. What do you call them? Guides or books?
1: First... I, I like to call them guides because they have practical tips and, and tools and templates that you can work with to, to help you shift um, from wherever, wherever you are. So, I suppose they fall under the genre of self, self-help guides.
0: Okay. And I mean, you've had some wonderful endorsements there. I mean, uh, the international EQ guy, Harvey Derchendorf. Uh, Margaret Hirsch, who, who I happen to know, what a firebomb that lady is. Uh, and, and Colleen Larson as well. So, so you certainly, you know, you, you've had some very, very impressive people talk about what you, uh, you do and how you do it. And, and, and they've acknowledged what you do. You've also been a TEDx speaker. What else have you done? <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I never kind of intentionally set out to write books, um, I I always look up to authors and think, wow, they're amazing people. Um, And then one of my friends and colleagues had written books and I was like chatting to her, and like, how how did you do it? Truly, it took you years to write this book. And she shared her formula and how she went about doing it. And I thought, well, okay, let me give it a try and, and see how that goes. And so yeah, I never intended to write books, but I took my personal experiences and some of the tools that I've used and put it into an easy, I mean, it looks like a short book and a very easy, quick read, but the depth lies in, in doing the work after each section. You know, that's where the, where the I guess, the aha moments or the, the, the nuggets of gold come from. And so, yeah, I have been a, an international speaker as well. I've spoken in places like Amsterdam and, and Istanbul and obviously locally here in South Africa. I'm very blessed to have um, awesome role models around me like Colleen and Margaret um, and Harvey. And on a, on a more personal level, I'm a bit of a adrenaline junkie, I, I suppose you could say. I've done things like, um, I've run the Comrades Marathon, Two Oceans Marathon, I've climbed Kilimanjaro, I've done the, the Inca Trail in Machu Picchu, um, jumped out of an airplane, scuba diving, all of those kind of things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which, Which is for me so refreshing to hear because if you look at, at your, your history and your past and uh, where you were uh, at, at, at that, that time, you've got every reason to just absolutely have given up and said, okay, no, there's, there's nothing. You know, this is my lot in life and, and this is who I am. And, and yet you didn't. And, and you, you came to a realization at some stage, I'm guessing, your past is not who you are.
1: Definitely. Um, I, I, was, I was in therapy for a good couple of years, um, you know, just trying to work on myself and understand myself because I, I suppose that the easiest way to describe it is I, I had this empty feeling, this void inside, and I was trying to chase it externally until I realized that, you know, I was seeking the wrong things. I needed to seek it from within. And so as you say, um, and what I always like to tell others is your past does not define who you are, you do, and you get to choose who you want to be and how you want to live your life, which is a lot of the work that I do in the, you know, the the, the clients that I work with and the courses and the programs that I, that I run is just At the end of the day it always comes back to self and before you can give to others or share with others or love others you have to be able to love yourself and and flaws and all we're all human beings and we all have flaws there's no such thing as the perfect person or the perfect relationship
0: i would agree with you 100 100 over there now let's let's move on because you've got this this incredible background um you've got an incredible history of of being able to help people how has this pandemic um, affected not only you, but I mean, I think it's affected a whole lot of people around us. I mean, at this stage, one of, my, one of my pet peeves is everybody going around saying we've got to adjust to this new normal when at the end of the day, we've got no idea what normal really is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Funny enough, um, I was I was um, on a stress webinar yesterday with one of my colleagues talking about this very thing that it is not normal what we're living under at the moment. Um, You know, yes, we've never experienced a pandemic before. um, So we, we have very little frame of reference where it's concerned. And usually when change comes along, we get the option to buy into change. We want to change and we willingly take the steps to change. But change was thrust upon us. The one day we were living our lives, the next day we were in extreme lockdown. So that whole sense of our world being turned upside down is very true. Everything was taken away from us, our freedom, our movement, uh, we had severe restrictions. We were now, from a from a home family dynamics point of view, we were in each other's faces and spaces twenty four seven. So there were extreme stressful situations and environments, and and with that came the uncertainty and the fear of the unknown, which we still don't know as far as the virus is concerned. And obviously, job security in terms of you know financial impact and job losses and economy and, and all of these things. So. It is extremely stressful and anxious times that we 're in it 's not normal to live in these conditions, so to speak
0: it 's interesting that you say that when when, when lockdown happened um, i 've always maintained and people often laugh at me and they, they, they sort of and it 's one of the reasons I love being on on radio and, and doing those kind of things is because I love people I just don 't necessarily want to see them all the time. Um, and, and before, before lockdown, my, my big sort of thing that I used to do is like, you know, if I don't ever have to leave the house again, I'll be very, very happy. And, uh, prior to lockdown, I think my record was two weeks without going out anywhere and then lockdown happened and it was like, well, guess what, buddy, now we're going to really test you. And I've yeah. got to tell you those, those first, I suppose, two months I, I fell apart. I think, uh, everybody in the family really kind of fell apart And it wasn't it didn't just happen to us. And I think this is something that, that, you know, with this pandemic, uh, you need to see it as as a well, you don't need to, but you can choose to see it as a positive because it's made us look at a whole bunch of stuff in our lives.
1: Very much so. I think the pandemic has has taught us to really look at what's important versus what's valuable. So important being things like family, uh, relationships, friends, um, lifestyle, etc., and 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 what's valuable in terms of we've learned that we can do without so much that we thought we couldn't before. Mm,
0: yeah, abs- absolutely. But I mean, with 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 us during that time and during this time of COVID, and I've got to say, I, I sort of feel like we're coming out of that, that particular sort of stress and everything, but it, it shows cracks. It, it really, it exposes weaknesses, both in business uh, and in your relationships, because now suddenly you, you're with people 24-7 and you actually have to see them and, and you can't just hide away. And a lot of times that brings immense stress and pressure on people. Is this something that you've noticed?
1: Yes, so um, from a global perspective, when uh, China was one of the first countries to come out of lockdown and they were one of the first ones to report a, a spike in divorce cases um, post post coming out of lockdown, we started seeing those stats increase um, around the world as well as here in, in South Africa. And I think there's two camps here. One is those couples that didn't have a good or healthy relationship to start with. They had a very rocky foundation. And now being thrust into each other's spaces and being confined for that period of time, as you say, there was no way to escape. Because often we use work as an escape um you know it allows us to go away there's put some distance between us and our and our partners that so kind of doesn't rock the boat so much we we avoid dealing with or we find ways of coping with and then you know we come back to the relationship and we you know it's that daily grind routine it's we get home we have dinner we may have, watch a bit of tv and kind of then we go to bed and then it's eat eat sleep press rep, repeat and replay kind of thing But on the other hand, it's brought some, you know, a lot of couples are saying it's brought them closer together um, and being together. Now, there is some truth in this, but I'm really questioning whether it's brought them closer together in terms of really deepening their relationship and having those deeper meaningful conversations and talking about real stuff. Or is it just the fact that we're spending more time together and we are kind of Helping each other a lot more when it comes to the household chores and responsibilities than in the past because that was often a complaint that I that I used to get is You're always at work. You're always working late or you know I'm always looking after the kids and doing this and you just get to kind of you know, do your thing It's a common complaint that comes up in relationships. So Yes, it has brought couples closer together, but I'm but I'm questioning how on what real level or what deeper level or is it just the fact that we're now spending more time in each other's space
0: all right well my special guest is uh, paula Quincy. we will be back it is what's involved when we come back paula what i'd like to chat to you a bit about is if people who are listening uh, to this broadcast are experiencing emotional issues and 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 life just generally sucks are there some tips we can give people listening to help them start working through this?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Fantastic. We'll talk about that when we come back. It is what's involved. And we are back. What's involved? It is my special guest uh, is Paula Quincy, uh, an amazing, amazing uh, woman who's done some amazing things. And Paula, I must tell you, your, your passion for your work definitely shines through Let's talk now about those people who, you know, their their entire lives have been turned upside down and and families have been turned upside down. It's just, it's been an awful time for a lot of people. Some people have adjusted. In fact, some people have thrived during this time, but there's others who are still in a very, very dark place. In terms of relationships, where where would one start? So I think the first
1: thing is to... You know, really use this time to to reflect on how healthy is our relationship now now people often assume when I say healthy relationships that that means we don't have any issues or we don't have any conflict or we don't have any disagreements and that's not true. Because it's unrealistic, just like life has ups and downs. So do our relationships personally and professionally. So there's, there's three sort of key questions that couples can sit down and ask themselves and, and reflect on. And the first one is, what's working in our relationship? And how do we keep doing more of that? Because we're very quick to focus on what's not working and point out our partner's faults or, you know, what's, you know, the issues in the relationship. But we very seldom sit down and go, well, what is working? And, and how do we make sure we keep doing more of that to keep growing and building our relationship? So that's the first question. The second question is what, can, what areas or where can we improve? Now this is very different to what's not working. Because when we ask the question, what's not working, we're very quick to pull out the dustbin and all the rubbish we've swept under the carpet. <laughs> so what's, what areas can we improve on is more of a, a, a positive spin on it to say, okay, well, we can improve on this and we can improve on that and you know that kind of thing. And then the third question they can ask is, how can I be a better partner for you? Often we assume our partners can read our minds or they know what we want or what we need, but unfortunately we are not mind readers. And if we don't share it with our partner, if we don't let our partner in to what's going on inside of us, what am I feeling, what am I thinking, what am I needing, where am I at right now? How do I need you to be there for me? Our partners don't know how to do that. So when we share it and when we let it let them into our worlds you know our hopes our dreams our fears are all of those things it helps create a stronger connection a stronger bond we feel closer to each other we feel supported there's a level of trust and it just helps to create that stronger foundation that together couples can grow and they can weather the storms when they come
0: i like that and i like what you're saying because it is, and I think so many of us have these preconceived ideas of what a relationship should be, and it 's all moonlight and roses and valentines and hearts and romantic dinners and, and and we often sort of overlook in our ideal world that the reality is is really not like that and i 've spoken to a couple of people and I, they, and i 've said and I firmly believe a relationship is something you have to put effort in not necessarily i wouldn't i don't know if i'd call it work but you do certainly have to put some effort in and a lot of people are shocked at that and they're like but but why you know and i'm going well because you know when when all the chemicals and everything are rushing at the beginning of a relationship you're prepared to overlook so much and it's all rosy we look at the world through our rose tinted spectacles uh, but when that wears off which it invariably does then we become you know we get to a place at least i believe where we generally need to sit down and say to ourselves, hell, do I even like the person I'm with?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That, that honeymoon romantic phase, as we call it, it, it can, research shows it can last anything from three months to 24 months before we start moving into the next phase of our relationship cycle. So there's a typical cycle that all couples go through. And we go through it time and time again for as long as we're with that person because we find coping mechanisms to help us deal with or avoid dealing with what's going on in our relationships. And coping mechanisms can be anything from being a workaholic, so throwing yourself into work, it can be sports, hobbies, uh, social media is a big one, um, addictions and any form of addictions from um, emotional eating to obviously alcohol, to substance abuse, whether it's things like pain medication and sleeping tablets to hardcore drugs, we
0: we can find all sorts of coping mechanisms. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the effects of some of those coping mechanisms as well, um, and I've and I've seen people I know, for example, uh, that had absolutely nothing left that they were prepared to work on, and they were very very wealthy, and uh, turned into turned to gambling, and uh, that just everything came crumbling and crumbling down, which is, is kind of scary, Paula. What I'd also like to talk about, though, is, is you know, we can, as, as, as couples, we can start and we can ask those three questions. Um, where do we end up, though? And, and maybe this is something that we should talk about uh, when we come back and we, we, we start wrapping up the interview. But does this translate into corporate? And uh, I think we can talk about that a little bit more when we come back. It is What's Involved, my special guest, is Paula Quincy. And we are back with Paula. Paula, uh, yeah, does it translate into uh, relationships? Because a lot of people look at this kind of stuff and go, oh, it's very airy-fairy, and, and it doesn't really translate into the corporate world. And, and I, you know, we spend so much of our time there. Uh what sort of an impact does this have and has the COVID epidemic had a huge impact on your relationships in terms of your job environment?
1: Absolutely. You know, with a lot of people working from home, our homes have become our workplace now, whereas before it was our, our sacred space, our sanctuary that we would go away to, to recharge and and re-energize ourselves. With the majority of people working from home now, we are, we're having to change the way, especially from a leadership point of view, in terms of we are now managing people in their personal spaces. We are stepping into their worlds with you know, through Zoom meetings and stuff like that. We're getting to see the environment that they live in, um, the distractions and the disruptions that are going on around them, whether it's children in the background, dogs barking, connectivity issues, whatever that might be. And psychologically, we're not wired to be Connected or online all the time it actually they've done a lot of research um, around the impact on our brain obviously and, and zoom fatigue or digital fatigue is a very real thing. And so corporates and leadership are now starting to become more and more aware and understanding of how important mental health is in the workplace. And whereas before, and I say this respectfully, a lot of them were, let's have our annual wellness day and tick the box exercise. We've helped our employees become more informed or aware of health, but that's kind of where it stopped. Whereas now it needs to be a key component of business strategies and business models going forward because your people are your business. And if your people aren't well, your business isn't going to be well.
0: I think it's even more vital now because you know because of where we are. Yes, we're now at level the level two, and and I've seen a lot of people going out and acting like crazy people and going, "Yay, freedom!" But the virus hasn't gone anywhere. So, you know, I, I, for the foreseeable future, there's a lot of things that are not going to to change in the way that we we're, we're we're hoping they would. But Paula, if somebody is listening now and they are a business owner, maybe they're an executive, uh, a small business, medium business. What sort of advice can we give to people like that in terms of their staff relationships? Because those are also, as we just discussed, vitally important.
1: I think so. This is where it's, you know, how well do you know your people? And how, and, and do you know what kind of support your people need? So as you were saying earlier, some people are loving being at home, you know, they're careful what you wish for, because so many people said, oh, I just wish I could work from home or stay at home all day. So those are what we kind of, without labelling them too much, more of the introverts. And they are loving working from home um, and they don't want to go back to the office space. But there are other people that aren't coping working from home, more of the extroverted people, the people that need interaction and and social connection, but also people that prefer more of a structured environment. And getting up and going to work every day and coming home gave us some form of structure or routine. Um, And those people may need a little bit more support from their managers or their leaders. Um, So really getting to know your people really checking in with your people in terms of how they're doing on a human level, um, and not just from a work perspective, and you know, have, have you done what you said you were gonna do? So also learning to measure output versus deliverables. Um, a lot of managers are struggling to manage remotely. It's causing, so I know someone that, that um, their manager, they've had to check in with their manager every morning, and every afternoon they've had to submit a timesheet of what they've done during the day. So, so some people are reverting to, to micromanaging and that's causing conflict. It's adding to the stress and the anxiety and all those kind of things. So it's having to learn to lead differently, having to learn to really connect and, and as you said, making the effort. And it doesn't have to be a huge effort. It's just every day, if I can schedule five minutes or 10 minutes where I just chat to one of my employees and find out how they're doing, how's their family going, how they're coping with juggling being a parent and a teacher and homeschooling kids if they've got kids or if they're living on their own are they coping being alone are they really feeling that isolation and 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 the the risk there is it can can lead to depression
0: Mm. yeah you know it's it's scary because i'm as as we're talking i'm I'm busy thinking about uh, my situation and What's happened to me, and I've I've said it before on the show, I always used to be one of those old-fashioned radio people that was like, the only way you can have a decent interview with somebody is if you have bums on seats. So if you're sitting opposite somebody somebody in a recording or radio studio, uh, that is what gives value. And of course, that just totally... And I was quite arrogant about that. I mean, I know I'd turned down guests before who wanted to do telephonic uh, interviews, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, no, it, it just doesn't work for me. It'll never work for me. Well, guess what? Now it only works for me because that's the only thing. Um, and, and I know that the, the mindset change it took to get me into this space where I am now, where I'm going, okay, this is the way, you know, my reality looks right now. And if I want to keep on delivering value, I need to work within these parameters.
1: Yes. And this is where, from an individual level and from a, from a corporate or a business level, we, we're having to reskill, upskill, and even redeploy ourselves in this new environment. So, so with the, the fourth industrial revolution, it was all about AI and robotics. And, and you know data and, and this kind of thing. Whereas we're now we've moved into the fifth industrial revolution, where it's all about purpose and meaning, and we've had to become tech savvy. Now, are you there?
0: Yes, oh, I'm sorry. here. Are, are, are you there?
1: <laughs> I lost you there for a moment. <laughs>
0: this is this is the the the, 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 the war cry of, uh, of of Zoom. Is can you hear me? <laughs> exactly.
1: So, yeah, it's about, you know, we've had to become tech savvy with dealing with technology like Zoom, like Microsoft Teams, or whatever platforms it is that you're using, whereas before we had to get used to, you know, automation and robotics and data intelligence and stuff like that. Um, We've had to, so even though our job title and role and our function has stayed the same, the way we work and where we work has changed and we've had to get our heads around that and some people are still struggling with that same with some companies um, you know some of them are still struggling with with people working from home and now as we go into level two and potentially level one some companies are looking at how do we bring the workforce back um, is it a 30 percent? do we take turns one week on we cough, do we do shift, that kind of thing. So businesses are also in a tough situation grappling with how to solve these things. because so they've never had to do it before either. So I think from both sides, employee, employer, have a bit of compassion and empathy and understanding. We're all going through this, but differently. It's okay to not be okay. There are going to be days where we're not, we just don't want to crawl out of bed. We just want to hide away from the world. And that's okay. It's reality. And you're allowed to feel those things. Being more accommodating or flexible and adaptable. If I'm homeschooling my kids, I'm not going to be online at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning because I'm teaching my kids. Um, so managing um, hours and online and what does that mean? And how do we measure output and productivity versus deliverables or KPIs or whatever it is that it used to be that you were measuring? And I think also, more importantly, from a self care point of view and businesses being more accommodating is mental health and well-being and putting boundaries down and being able to say no. So, sorry, no, I can't be online at 10 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whatever. Finding the hours that work for you. I've got a lot of people saying they're working longer hours now than ever before, but they are feeling drained. They are feeling fatigued. So, taking time out for self and, and taking those breaks and we, the research now is showing that after forty minutes, um, people start feeling fatigue, and after two hours, the stress levels go up.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can see I can see how that happens because there's there's many times that I spend quite a quite extended period of time online, and, and you do afterwards you feel wiped out. The interesting thing though that you mentioned, and in, in, in terms of it's okay to not feel okay. Um, one of the things that I've done, and I've done it for many years, is if I am not feeling okay, and it's been it's been amplified and magnified during COVID, is I do what I call um, I'm, I have a pity party, and it's a pity party for one, and uh, there's balloons and cake and everything, and and I'll set a deadline to it. I'm going okay. I'm going to feel like absolutely horrible now, and I'm going to wallow in self pity. And uh, maybe go lie on the bed in a fetal position uh, with the the, the curtains or the blinds drawn and just really get into how horrible I'm feeling. Get all of that emotion out and I put a time frame on it. So in the next, you know, after an hour or so, then I'm, I'm back. I've had my pity party. I've let all of that emotion out and I'm ready to carry on. Is that something that you would recommend as well?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, you've got to find what works for you because everybody's different. And some people resort to things like exercise, some people resort to meditation, some people resort to just going and shutting off out from the world and putting earphones on and listening to music. It's whatever works for you. But also understanding that it might work for me today, but tomorrow it doesn't work for me. So then I need to find something else. So having tools in your toolbox that you can resort to as and when you need knowing when to reach out so support structure is hugely important um, from a personal point of view family or friends um in the workplace if you have uh, those kind of relationships with your boss or your colleagues um, and and if you don't then reaching out to those professional organizations like lifeline and SADAC, or even counselors and and you know people that can offer a level of support to help you work through it and and, and to help you deal with what you're going through and what you're experiencing because it is real for you because you are going through it. It is your reality, not anybody else's.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I also uh, think at this time, never underestimate the power of a phone call. You know, if you're if you if you're thinking about somebody or, you know, there's there's a mate of yours that you haven't heard from or whatever, pick up the phone and just go, hi, how are you doing? And then You know, uh, typical South African response is, I'm fine, which we all know stands for, I'm going to use the clean version now, uh, fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. So, you know, we're not always, well, we are, a lot of the time we are fine. But, you know, don't be scared. If somebody says to you, how are you doing? Give them an answer and be prepared, if you ask the question, to get an answer.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where this this whole you know the, the the labels that society has placed on us, or that we've allowed society to place on us, but also our own labels. In that, you know, it's 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 a weakness. We can't show emotion. We have to, you know, we have to have all our stuff together and, and our life in place and in order and this perfect life, perfect wife, perfect house, perfect husband, perfect everything, is unrealistic. And of course, social media doesn't help.
0: I mean, it's not called fake book for nothing, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't even want to get into some of the awful stuff I've seen on social media because people have just gone nuts. Um, and you know, it's like, I don't know. It seems to give people license to, to be mean and nasty, but you know, if you are doing something like that, just think first, goodness me, you know, I saw, I saw something the other day about, uh, somebody who'd who'd posted about the rumor about uh, the the government banning alcohol again. And they were so judgmental about the people and the queues. And they were this, that, and the next thing. Not a day later, there they start publishing pictures of all the booze they've bought. And I was like, wow, okay, hypocrite much?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, we're quick to project our own stuff. Onto others, and, and so I, I call it the blame, the blame and the victim mentality. When we blame other things and other people for what's gone wrong in our lives, what we don't realise is the last two letters of the word blame ends in me. And when I'm doing mm. that, I'm avoiding taking accountability and responsibility for me and my contribution to the situation.
0: Oh, the that's very good.
1: And the same with victim. The last two letters of victim is I am, I'm. I'm. I'm the one that's put me in victim land or victim mode or mentality. And I'm the only one that can get me out of it by taking action.
0: Absolutely. Paula, it's it's that time. We're running out of time again. Uh, before I let you go, and thank you so much for your time. It is much, much appreciated. Uh, before I let you go, if somebody is... is you know, struggling. If there's a, a, a business uh, that a business owner, an executive that's listening, or maybe there's a couple that are that are having some some major hassles, um, can they contact you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, they can go to my website. So it's paulaquincy They can find me on social media platforms. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, and YouTube. And all my contact details are on those platforms. They're welcome to get in touch. Um, happy to to help.
0: Fantastic. It's paulacuinsey.com and it's spelled uh, P A U L A Q U I N S E. So that's Q U I N S E. Paula, before I let you go, one piece of advice that you would give to somebody listening now to start making a change in their lives.
1: Change is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. And it's one day at a time, one step at a time, that the small changes eventually lead to big shifts.
0: Fantastic stuff. Paula Quincy, my special guest, thank you so much for chatting to us. We wish you all the best going forward. And uh, yeah, I I think to sum up where we are at the moment is, is this world of ours is becoming more about being human. And I remember one of my mentors always used to say to me, Uh, Bear in mind whether you're a human being or a human doing. So I think it's time we worked on the human being part. Paula, again, thank you.
1: Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing this time with you.
0: There we go. That was my special guest. Paula Quincy, more What's Involved will be coming your way.